What's going on, guys? Um, we are live. We um, I was going to come on here uh, with Kevin, myself, and my kid, but he kind of blew me off. Um, wanted to just basically come on here and, and see what was going on. Um, I know we've been kind of MIA. Uh, it's, you know, between Kevin and I, we've been really, really busy. Kevin, what do you got going on? Oh, I'm uh, living in uh, EMS retrofit hell. So, yeah. I mean... Construction season's finally starting to pick back up, so we're getting way busier. So, got all that going on. Mostly just a ton of uh, EMS retrofits, you know, all over the country. Are you are you going out of state soon? Yeah, yeah. I'm. Uh, it's going to be like every every other two weeks. Seems like it's uh, there's an out of state job. Really. Yeah, I know Kevin makes fun of me all the time because he doesn't think that I actually work, but I do. Um, <laughs> so, um, I man, I've been um, working on all kinds of new training programs that we're doing, uh, working on a website that we're going to be releasing here shortly. Um, you know, a whole bunch of technical data. Um, it's um, it's it's consuming my life. Like I'm been going out to other places and and you know filming equipment and basically making training videos on on that set equipment so that's what i've been up to i know it doesn't seem like because i have you know now don't get dirty <laughs> yeah you got but, really really clean hands now oh, my, <laughs> my my daughter says uh, says to me stuff all the time she's like Dad, I've never seen your your hands this clean. Because you like usually maybe like a week or two vacation, and that's the extent of it, and then I go back. Right? Um, what's this? Uh, I work on chillers and water source heat pumps. Um, the dude who asked a lot about my struggles with pulling vacuums on large systems. What's up with the EU? Is he really? A, the only thing EU I'm thinking is is <laughs> government stuff over in Europe. I mean, I mean, pulling vacuums on large systems. I mean, it's a hundred percent the hoses and the vacuum rig and the vacuum pump. So getting a a big vacuum pump like a Navac vacuum pump or a, uh, a big Welch uh, screw style vacuum pump, not like a standard smaller vacuum pump. You need something, you know. 12 CFM, 15 CFM, you know, up in the 30 CFM bigger range and uh, blue vac hoses and or hard piping it to the machine. I mean, that's the, the best way to pull vacuums. And on chillers, I mean, the best way I've seen it done is pulling the reliefs, pull the reliefs and use the uh, non-positive shutoff to evacuate the chiller because you could you could take those reliefs and you could uh, you could thread in half or five eighths fittings and pull vacuums off there, you know, right off the top of the bundles. I mean, that's the best way to do it. How I've seen. I mean, pulling through small small ports. I mean, you're just screwing yourself with that. I mean, I like using the non-positive shutoffs. I'll do that on racks too. If we're pulling new racks down, I'll use the non-positive shutoffs to. Uh, take and uh pull vacuums off those because i could put huge huge hoses on there if i don't have half inch fittings installed i'll use the non-positive shutoffs for the uh receiver reliefs to effectively let me put half inch blue vac hoses on there and evacuate that 
the vessel first and then everything else. Oh, here's a, here's one for you. Uh, wait, same guy's talking. He's he said he doesn't have access to the fancy hoses and all that other stuff. Um, here's uh this guy. Uh, I, don't, I haven't worked on any car knot racks. Kevin, this is all you. Have you seen any oil issues with car knot racks in the summertime when they hit transcritical? Yeah, that's all they have is, that's all they have is oil issues. Like that, that I mean. Especially if they're in the Costco's, like it is nonstop oil issues, just for the simple fact that uh, the way their their whole oil system is designed, like the entire oil system is designed in a way that you literally cannot transfer oil from you know it's big paint through my phone one. You can't transfer oil from one TC compressor to the next TC compressor. So if so you have four compressors and you have two oil separators on the high side. If one set of compressors is running more than the other, it's going to have more oil. So when the next set of compressors goes to run, there's no oil in them. And their whole oil transfer system from the low temp to the medium temp, only half-ass works. How do they have it set up? So on the racks that are strictly booster racks, so low and medium temp, they have a oil. They have an oil separator on the low side, and they have an oil transfer system. So what they do is they're measuring the oil temperature at the separator and and then at the header. If it's below discharge temp by a certain degree, then they know there's oil there, and they inject it into the medium temp header suction header to get picked up by the compressors, because the majority of your oil is going to sit in the low temp. You know, never make it to the medium temp because of the way they have their intercooler constructed and the way they do their uh, their suction accumulator. So that that's the struggle with getting oil back. And then every rack when you go TC, when you're running transcritical, has you're moving way more oil. So my thoughts on this is the oil is sitting in the bottom of the the separators and it's getting picked back up and brought back out of the system. Uh-huh. because it's so violent now where the hill racks and the zero zone racks and everybody else they have like kind of like a, a mid-stage low pressure oil system so what they're doing is they're constantly draining the separator so the separator gets drained out into a reservoir and you don't have as much oil loss now it's still an issue in the summertime you need to pulse the, sep- the solenoids more to, to drain the oil now, Carnot has that design on their bigger racks, but on the, on the straight, like, TC racks, I mean, they have nonstop oil issues. I've, and I mean, let's just be honest, the racks are filthy. Like, we, we've blown through on one rack probably 30-plus temperites in a year. Just in the production process? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, like, when, when you open them up, like, they are just, when you pull the liquid shells, like, on startup to – you know, install them. They are just filthy. Gotcha. Like the, their, their intercoolers and like the, the receivers, wherever they get them made from, like yeah. they're just filthy. <laughs> it, it looks like an ammonia system when you start it up, like all the metal, ferrous metal, like shavings and yeah. from all the welding and everything else. There's another one. Uh, watch y'all's video. Must be Southern. Uh, on digital compressors, a lot of great info. 
My question is, can a Copeland digital compressor be programmed through the E2 if I don't have access to Ultrasight? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you, you could program it on uh, it just in the suction group. I mean, everything on Ultrasight, Ultrasight is just basically mirroring the E2 setup. Like every menu is pretty much the same until you get to a certain couple uh, setup functions. I mean, Ultrasight is ultimately just easier because it's on the computer and it's a little more contained and there's more drop down menus uh-huh. and it's a little faster but everything you could do to program at digital compressor can be done on the actual e2 screen itself in in the suction setup just go under that uh compressor type and change it from a standard compressor to a digital and then program in your uh your percentage as soon as you change it to a digital compressor it's going to populate another menu for you for the digital setup and your analog output and just go through and make sure all your scaling is correct the same way you would in ultrasight mm, yes sir um man i so I, the other day i had a uh yes you can do anything in in, in uh just about anything in ultrasight that you can on the e2 man the other day i tried walking someone through over the phone trying to log a sensor and i had the roughest time i we ended up having i ended up having to walk in through how to do it on ultrasight because i just no matter if i would you know create a new log or you know or make sure it had the l behind it make sure it had the l behind it and the input definitions it wouldn't it wouldn't matter where i would do it it would just would not log I've been having a lot of like logging issues with all the new E2s. It's it's yeah. been nonstop. I've had to force log groups like ten or twelve times on brand new startups. I've had stuff with like faulty log groups away. They they've been having a lot of problems on on like the controllers that are like two months old. There's another question here. What's this? Uh, what's the best way to deal with this? I don't know what this is unless you're talking about the Coronado issue. Uh, Anthony, if you should listen and, you know, elaborate a little bit more. Do we have low pressure receivers in CO2 systems? Not the ones I've seen. You? Uh, what do you mean, like low pressure? Rece- what, what are you considering a low pressure receiver? I mean, generally they're, you know, anywhere from 500 to 700 pounds. So or 450 to 100. So in, in, I think you might be referring to an industrial, they have uh um, you know, they'll, they'll have, they'll drop the, the pressure dramatically. And so instead of just feeding it with the regular, you know, power of the, its own compressor, um, they have a low, low pressure receiver essentially is what it is. It's the, the pressure is just way lower than what the saturated condensing temperature is. So like a air cooler, basically it's like, if you were taking, uh, the pump liquid, uh, CO2, uh, basically that the only difference is that they're lowering, you know, they're lowering the pressure. Um, so like, an hmm? so like an intercooler, no, not an intercooler. They're just basically, instead of feeding the refrigerant of its own accord, they're basically, you know, they might have part of the system that does feed under the, the, the normal circulation power of the compressor, but then they'll have a low pressure receiver that might, uh, that's fed off of pump liquid because it's, it's so far out. I mean, we do that with medium temp stuff. Like there's pumped liquid overfeed. For the medium temp, they'll run the receivers 
say at like a plus 20 and they'll uh, use pump liquid overfeed for that. I mean, it's not as common, but they'll use pump liquid overfeed for that uh, DX compression for the low temp. I mean, there's, there's energy, there's energy, uh, you know, penalties with that, but I mean, it just really depends on the customer setup, but no, I've never seen a low pressure uh, receiver on a CO2. So Anthony was talking about the, uh, he was talking about the car not, so the, most of the car not issue is a design issue and it's only going to be as good as it's going to be, but staying up on the filters and the maintenance and just retuning the rack. I mean, those racks run pretty poorly from startup. I mean, the way they design everything to my, in my opinion, they run terrible compared to hill racks and, uh, and uh, zero zone racks. But I will say this, when they run, they run, and they run like a freight train. But do they run efficiently? Not one bit. Is there is there room to tune them out and get things tuned out, like keeping your cases tuned and your valves tuned and stuff clean? Absolutely. And I will say this, the number one oil issue with CO2 I see is the flash tank not being properly tuned. If your flash tank pressure is you know, moving more than 10 pounds, swinging either way, you have a problem. And that's probably almost every single rack out there. I've yet to see manufacturers, except for Hill Phoenix, who took my settings out of like multiple stores. And now they're sending, you know, racks out with, with our base settings. Mm, what else we got? Sorry, I was wondering about what's the best way to deal with the issues. Uh, <laughs> just deal with the issues. <laughs> uh, can you walk yes. me? What's that? But no, I was just gonna read off the question. Um, can you walk me through again when you lost your E two? All the compressors are full on, full of liquid, and you want to start the the rack back up. Um, what I do is shut off all the uh, suction line ball valves going from you know my rack and coming back in you know coming back into the suction header find the smallest compressor on there at that point take your recovery machine and pump out all the refrigerant out of there and one you know basically the idea is now you have a compressor that's uh, full of fully empty of of liquid refrigerant so Theoretically, if we start that one back up, we should be able to um, pull the pressure down in the suction header, but you should also be able to suck out all the liquid that's in the header as well as in all the rest of the compressors. And then once it shuts off on on uh, low pressure, then start opening uh, start opening up you know one circuit at a time very slowly and just start feeding it until that one starts feeding and then move on to the next and just continue. What are your thoughts, Go? Oh, I, I don't go that far. I, I just find the smallest compressor is not under warranty and that's going to be easy to replace if it breaks. And I go ahead and fire her up and uh, shut all the circuits off and, you know, let it pull on the suction header, let it cycle a couple of times, get all that liquid out of there. And then, uh, then I just start bringing them on one by one. So I hope that it's not going to, well, you know, you've told me so many times that you've had, instances where you blew out excuse me you've seen heads blow out on a compressor i'm surprised that you're you're just gonna flick it that's why you take a small one 
<laughs> you know, and then you just throw a towel over the head. I have seen a flooded compressor below the valve plates and shoot oil in a 360-degree rain area. It was a 2D, and it made the biggest mess I've ever seen in my entire life. So I, I've seen the aftermath of compressors that have been damaged. Um, I don't know exactly what happened. I just know that when I got there, there was no more rack or refer, rack in the rack, refrigerant in the rack. Um, you know, I've seen where they, you know, the cylinder, uh, the connecting rod ends up breaking free and then, you know, pushing a hole in the side of the compressor. I've seen that only happen twice, but I've never, fortunately for me, I've never actually seen it happen because I, I, I don't know if I'd ever go in a rack room ever again. <laughs> that would scare the ever-living crap out of me. Yeah, it was it was loud and it just went like white real quick, just like of just fog. But, uh, but yeah, you, you got to pay attention a little bit. If you see that every single sight glass is completely full and like the compressor's got a frost line on it, yeah, maybe take a step back. But I mean, half the time, if it's two o'clock in the morning, I'm going to flip it on and I'm going to get it back going as fast as I can because I want to go home. And, uh, Who's got time to break a recovery machine out? But when a rack's the biggest recovery machine out there. Yeah, true. Uh, that or rack. What's that say again? That or I'll use the other rack to suck it down. Gotcha. How do you go from a standard suction to an enhanced suction? You Del- delete it and start delete it. <laughs> there's no, There's no easy fix. It takes like 10 to 15 minutes to do it. It's cake. You li- you literally build the enhanced suction while the other suction group's still running. You do everything but the outputs. That's all you got to do is you, you can put all your inputs in. You can set up all your pressures. You can set up all your temperatures. You can set up all your comp- compressor types, your uh, horsepowers, everything. You get that all set up. And then when you're finally ready to take over, when everything's reading and everything's good, all you do is add in your imp- your outputs. It's going to tell you that you can't control uh, an output with two inputs. You're going to say yes, and do you wish to delete the old output? You say yes, and you do it one by one. You delete them all. Then you go into add or delete applications and delete the old suction group. So literally, you're taking over the suction group, and there is literally no interruption in compressor running anything. It just within like 10 seconds you punching in inputs and hitting a couple of yeses and no's your or outputs you're good to go <laughs> so i just saw this uh can you explain if if i don't have a recovery machine how do you not have a recovery machine oh but- shit the last company i was at for a little while when i when i rage quit client pros uh i think there was like three trucks out of like 25 that had recovery machines Wow. I'm going to be honest to you. I like, I hardly ever like my recovery machines like buried in my truck. Like I never use that thing. Hardly ever. Unless I'm doing like a receiver or, or a, what the hell is that? Is it a bicycle pump? Nope. God, that's, you're so old. Nope. That's my spooter. You're so old. It's my spooter too. It's, it's a recovery machine. That would be some shit the last company I had would use. Um, 
But yeah, like, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I hardly ever use my recovery machine. I mean, with rack refrigeration, it's not like a thing you need all the time. I mean, let's be honest here. The rack's the biggest recovery machine there is. Like, I, I always just use the compressors for everything. I mean, that being said, like, when we're doing, like, condensers or, like, entire rack reclaims, usually we're using a bigger recovery machine, like a homemade one, uh, like Succubus. Yeah, you, what like was my, that? My, Five horsepower or something, condensing unit? It was a seven and a half horsepower, all the meat lineup compressor. So it was running like, I think like 24 foot a case. Mm. It was a massively oversized compressor. But I mean, that thing would pump straight liquid. We pulled a thousand pounds of gas or liquid and vapor out. I think it was in like 24 minutes flat. The rack was empty in in a vacuum. Damn. Do you know how rapid recovery actually charges? Do they charge per site? Do they charge per weight? Is it a conglomeration of both? I think they charge, they charge its site and hourly. So all I know is that if I want to have rapid recovery come out, I can have two more journeymen and an apprentice on a job usually. Mm-hmm. So I could recover the gas myself, have them come out and do it just as fast as they can. With the seven and a half horsepower that you have? I don't have that anymore because uh, it's, no, it's I, sucky. This is still a company. But... Okay. Um, we have two of those NAVAC pumps that uh, we saw that uh, at the symposium, and they work pretty damn good so far. I, I'm trying to find my me a condensing unit that's not going to blow up. I want to find another scroll because... Uh, for some reason, those Copeland scrolls will just eat liquid all day long. Here's one for you from Stealing Archer. Uh, there's a sort of debate uh, between colleagues at my company. You think realistically bra- uh, breaks a heat exchanger on a chiller by recovering the charge without turning the pumps on? Yeah, it's an absolute possibility. I don't think I would recover liquid out of a chiller or vapor out of a chiller without the pumps on. I don't do a whole lot of chiller work, but I mean, we have a lot of water cooled racks on the same thing. I'm not going to, I'm not going to recover or pump down a water cooled or condenser or glycol condenser or a glycol heat exchanger without the pumps running. You, you very well could risk freezing the freezing it. Absolutely. Jeff, have you ever seen the, um, I mean, this, this isn't talking about the same thing, but have you ever seen the, uh, the, when they use the liquid nitrogen to freeze up a section of pipe, um, that's not actively, let's say you have a ball valve that's, that's, uh, leaking by and that ball valve has to be replaced in order to do your job. So they'll, they'll freeze sections on either side of this valve. Yeah. We've done um, it on glycol mains before. Yeah. No, I've just, I've never, I've, I've seen it on video. I've just never, never actually seen it, uh, in person. So when I was at Johnson Controls, when I was an apprentice, when I first started out, we uh, there's a blue chip casino. It's like a half an hour from where I live. Mm-hmm. And it's like a 30-story hotel and casino on the border of Michigan. We had to change out the condenser water lines for one of the chillers. I went to go punch the tubes, and we couldn't get it to drain down. And we had to change out the uh, the tower water ball, that our uh, gate valves. Because mm-hmm. they were leaking, one of them was leaking through. They came out and froze two 18-inch uh, steel lines 
And I mean, there is, uh, you figure there's 30, the, the cooling towers were 30 feet up in the air, or 30 stories up in the air. Mm-hmm. So all that pressure at like two pounds per foot, you know, they froze that entire thing while we picked up on these pipes and uh, changed out these gate valves, these massive 18 inch gate valves. That's kind of big. Yeah. They froze them and it froze solid. Yeah. Like all that water coming back. I mean, it's it, they do a lot of that in Chicago. I mean, there's a lot of buildings where you can't drain down all that water. I mean, you're talking thousands of gallons of water, like big buildings in Chicago where like they cannot shut down or drain down the water, so they freeze them. Uh, when changing out receiver floats, is there a proper way of measuring the float length? Um, yeah, I think every single uh, manufacturer has a, sh- or a sheet on measuring the the I believe the circumference of the the receiver. Um, I just usually just go out straight off. I call the manufacturer. I don't even mess around with that. Well, usually, like if it's like a Westermeyer receiver, like they're they're pretty good about writing. Like you can look it up and it'll tell you what like on their website what flow goes in there. Same mm-hmm. thing with the Henry ones. If it's a Henry receiver, um, I noticed they're pretty good about putting their float number on there. Oh, yeah? But I've found here lately a ton of wrong floats. Like Kaiser sent me out the last three racks. The floats have been, either been upside down or they've been the wrong floats. What? Yeah. So I always, I, I've gotten in the habit of checking that shit before. Uh, we start up or pull vacuums because uh, there's nothing worse than having to drain a fucking 15 foot long receiver. Yeah, true. Yeah, I meant, I meant to ask you a question because I've seen these ball valves a thousand different times. I'm, I'm looking at the Henry guy because I'm, I'm looking for that uh, for that sizing chart for the receivers. But um, have you know some of the newer CO2 ball valves? They have like a small, uh, a, a long piece coming off the bottom. They're like they're basically taller from top to bottom. Are you familiar with what I'm speaking of? Looks like it has a. Those are the the Sporlin ball valves with the check valves built into them. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that existed. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. They're nice, but I would rather not have the check valves for the fact that sometimes it makes it impossible to pump something down. So. I guess I guess they're meant to take the place of you know like the CO two valves that are out in the case, right? So then that way you don't have to pipe that whole rigmarole where you need the check valve in with it. You know what I mean? Like that ball valve. Whole, that whole thing is the dumbest thing I've ever seen, and that is all Hill Phoenix is doing. Like putting the check valves around the ball valves is the stupidest thing ever. Why do you not agree with it? Because half the time, either the check valves fail or stick, or they get put in the wrong direction, and you can't pump something down, and then you end up having to blow off like half the charge in the store to, to change it. Mm. So, so we had problems with those check valve ball valves. So Zero Zone put them in at a store and for the hot gas header. Well, yeah. I had to shut down the hot gas header mm-hmm. to change the relief. Mm-hmm. I had to blow the charge for the entire store because all those ball valves were checking back to the hot gas header. So you had to pump down every single circuit and then the receiver's not big enough. So we ended up having to blow off a charge 
because every single circuit it was it was blowing backwards into the header. There's no positive way to shut it off because of the check valves. <laughs> I mean, I get it. They have their point. I I mean, I guess it's like a safety thing, but like yeah. at the end of the day, like don't be stupid and you won't have problems. I don't agree with that. I mean, it's just they're, deployed they're, more they're, parts. They're there. For, nah, they're there. It's a safety thing. I totally agree with the safety thing. But. Yeah, the, the whole the whole safety thing is way blown way out of proportion. It needs to go back to where the you know things aren't as safe, so it just thins the herd. Says the guy that just said last podcast. He's like, I've been electrocuted so many times. <laughs> Uh, what is he saying? I always run the pumps, but somebody said uh, he used to do that all the time, and he never froze any heat exchanger that way because the water's thermal mass. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, he hasn't froze one yet, but when he does, <laughs> uh, I tell you what, retube retubing a heat uh, a chiller is not cheap. No, and the labor, especially the, how much downtime you have, you know, you get expensive. I've I've seen him freeze. I've seen him freezing with the pumps going. Yeah. Well, guys, thanks for uh, coming on today. Um, just want to let you know uh, today's podcast that we drop, and I'll have the first question for the uh, giveaway. Remember, um, the giveaway email address is arpgiveaways at gmail.com. Please send them all to there. Um, Kevin, you got anything going on? Uh, anything else going on? No, no, just uh, just finishing up some retrofit stuff, and then back to slamming protocols and you know stores with single units. Have they have they given you someone yet to to train with so you can train someone up on put how to put up fires correctly? No. That would uh, that would make way too much sense. Well, on that note, guys, we'll talk to you later. All right, take it easy, guys.